Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is I'm Just Saying with Justin Worley, and uh, we have Ned Hesser on the show today. Um, I gotta be honest with you, I didn't know how this uh, interview would go. I didn't know how this conversation would go. He's a very religious person. He was uh, brought up, in my opinion, in a different environment than me. He was brought up homeschooled and kind of led in a different direction in his life but throughout the conversation we kind of discussed the differences that we had and and i'll be honest with you it was an interesting conversation he is uh he's a good he's a great guy he's an interesting person um i learned a lot from the guy he had the balls to go out and do a lot of things that i don't have the balls to go out and do uh from working on a freaking salmon boat to going on all these religious missions and He's a very interesting guy, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Ned Hesser, he also is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu white belt. He is at a gym called MMA Academy, uh, Piera, Piera, I hope I'm saying that correctly, Piera MMA out of Reading, Pennsylvania. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy the show, and this is the new show. Before I get too far into it, this is the new show. It used to be the Inside Joke with Justin and Gene. That kind of ran its course. Hopefully we'll have Gene <coughs> Troy on the show at some point in time to discuss all that. He was supposed to come over this weekend. Things happen. The guy had car problems. You know, I understand. Things happen. But eventually we're going to have him on. But in the meantime, Ned Hesser is going to be on the show today. And following up with that, we have a very important guest in David Fine from the Reading Royals. He graced me with his presence, and you'll get that next week. So, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. You one person out there that's probably listening to this. Anyway, this is I'm Just Saying with Justin Worley. What's going on? I'm here with Ned Hesser uh, from MMA Academy. Is that the full name of it, or is it? Yeah. So there's a couple different uh, banners on the website. There's a few different um, that you'll find, but uh, MMA Academy I think is the official name of the the business. But depending on like what circumstance we're in, like we're at a if we're at a actual MMA fight, they'll probably refer to it as like Pereira MMA. Pereira, or, okay. Um, or if we're at a jujitsu tournament, like they might just talk about it as like Pereira School. Okay, and how long have you been involved with those guys? Uh, about a year, I'd yeah. say. I did, I did uh, Muay Thai in college for a little bit, of, uh, and then I, I got into jiu-jitsu sort of independently of that, and so I found a place that, that did both of them, and so that's... Uh, so they do Muay Thai there as well? 
Yeah, we do we do Muay Thai, we do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, we supplement some of our grappling with uh, judo throws and takedowns and some of our ground game with like Greco Roman style wrestling. Um, and some of our striking is also, also supplemented by Western boxing. Okay. Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu are the two main disciplines. So. Alright, I'm gonna bug you, you need to move in. Okay. <laughs> That's all right. Okay. That's all good. Is it I'm watching this thing and I'm loud as hell? Gotcha. And then you're this. <laughs> all right. Um all right, well, let's learn a little bit about you. Uh, you were homeschooled, which is a kind of controversial thing a little bit to me because I went to a public school. I was with all the, all the trash that that entails. Um, do you think, well, first of all, what's it like being homeschooled? Because I wasn't homeschooled unless I was suspended. So It's, it's interesting because I do, I do get that question um, a lot from people. Like, what, what was it like to be, to be homeschooled? And um, I usually give the really unhelpful response of, like, what was it like to be public school? It's just it's it's I mean my simple response is like I don't I don't know because I don't have anything to like contrast it to. It's just kinda like it was it was the thing we did. Well so your mom your who was your primary teacher at home? My primary uh, teacher was my mom, but she she used kind of a philosophy of education, um, called like the Charlotte Mason method, which focuses a lot on kind of like helping students direct their own curriculum. So it, it it's interesting because like so for example, like I was when I was in middle school, I was really, really into uh, planes. Okay. So my mom found a way to incorporate like history, like I learned about World War II and the the uh, development of different kinds of aircraft as it kind of followed the the conflict that was happening in Europe and the how that contrasted with like the the Luftwaffe and the the, the German Air Force. Um, and through that, I kind of learned about this whole time in Europe of you know massive change. Uh, that society was experiencing. I also learned about, uh, through science, I was learning about like, you know, lift and different weather patterns mm-hmm. and different types of engines. And uh, for literature, I would read books like The House of the Seventy Fathers, which is about flying tigers, or I would read poetry like I Have Slipped the Surly Bonds. Uh, also, this related to, to aircraft, to planes. And um, so she would use kind of our own interests and the things that we were naturally curious about to sort of just direct us to teach ourselves. Okay. So that actually sounds universally true. Right. Right. That sounds way more effective than, Hey kid, sit down and I'm forcing you to learn this. It worked for us. Yeah. For us, it was a a good, good method. Now you say us, how many, what, uh, how many siblings did you have? Um, I, uh, I have uh, two brothers and two sisters. Okay. We're all homeschooled. Wow. Big house. Yeah, crowded yeah. house. We were a little, we were a little spaced out, so it helped a little bit. But okay, and you're, are you the youngest or? I'm the second youngest. Yeah. Okay. So, well, that that take, takes away some conflict of having your sister be in the same school as you and having to deal with all that. Your sister. <laughs> oh yeah, I did have a sister. <laughs> we we had some conflicts, but she's okay. Gotcha. So you're from Chicago. Yeah. Um. Obviously. Well, I mean, I'm just assuming because I've never been to Chicago, but uh. Different than Pennsylvania. A little bit. The irony is actually I was born in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So yeah. where were you born in Pennsylvania? Uh, Erie, Oil City, that kind of area. Erie. Oh my God. Yeah. That really went down. <laughs> that went downhill. I went. I was at a wedding, a Baptist wedding. In uh, by the way, Baptist weddings are the most fun things I've ever been at in my life. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm not religious, and I've done my research on you. I know you are very religious, or assume you're very religious. You can say that. And I stopped, I forgot I'd stopped going to church after he got confirmed because that's all I had to do. 
you know. Uh, I, I haven't really been back unless it's been a wedding. Mm-hmm. And I dread them. I hate weddings. I hate sitting there, listening to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, these guys, we're all going to go away from this and get trashed. So what, you know, what are we doing? This, this is all kind of just a show, in my opinion. And, um, but the Baptist wedding... I think if I grew up Baptist, one, I'd be a complete outcast because we look a little different. But it would be the most fun I've ever had. They're singing songs. There's live, like they're playing guitar and drums, and clapping. Mm-hmm. The wedding went, went by like that. I just snapped my fingers because nobody can see that. And uh, I don't know. That was a tangent there. But Baptist, what, Baptist church services and everything, to me, just make you want to go. Make you want to be part of it. And I guess that's, that's kind of what they do. You know, you... The environment is exciting, and then you'll learn as you go. But, you know, the hardest part that I found was wanting to go in the first place. I gotcha. Uh, but anyway, we'll get to more of the religious stuff in a little bit. Um, if you don't mind me asking, you said you were, you were uh, confirmed. What were you like? Uh, I went to Salem UCC. Okay. So Christianity, right. you know, kind of thing. Um, all right. So this kind of – I stalked your Facebook for my research here. Um and I don't know that it is in any particular order. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to say the community college you attended. Kankakee. There you go. Kankakee. It's I, a south, very far south suburb of Chicago. I tell people Chicago just because it's easier than explaining the weird geography of my state. But if you actually saw the place I grew up, you'd probably laugh to think of that as Chicago. But um, there's a number of people that kind of commune from or commute. Commute, commute from. Yeah. <laughs> See, you just can't shake it, can you? Right, yeah. Commute from Kankakee to uh, the city to work. And so after like a certain number of people do that, it's it, it becomes considered a suburb of Chicago. Okay. And so my neighborhood was like a little tiny town that's sort of a offshoot of Kankakee. So it's easier than explaining to people that like I, I live in a suburb of a suburb of a a city that I'm right. not actually part of the municipality of the city. Like we have our own police department, but we're sort of technically Chicago, but not really. It's just sure it's gets complicated. It, it does, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So now that was, and again, complete assumption. That yeah. is a standard college community college atmosphere. Yeah, you could say that. And this is the first time mm-hmm. you're having to be in a school and an educational environment that is not run by family. Mm-hmm. Now, how did that transition? How was that transition? Um, well, I got into the Honor Society my first semester, so I think academically the, the transition worked out pretty well. Um, I, 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 I did find like a lot of the kind of methods that my mom used to teach us uh, were helpful, but I think they actually translated better to a, uh, and this, this is not to disparage like, like public school students, like if that's the model that works for you, go for it. But um, I did find that, that for me at least, it, it helped translate better to a college environment where you have to actually go do stuff more out on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're the one that has to go to the library and set up your computer and do some Googling and pull some books out and, and do some research and, and write something. Um, my mom also placed a really big emphasis on reading and writing, which, which was helpful because um, college tends to be more book heavy, if that makes sense. No, yeah. So I thought, I thought it worked out pretty well. So, what about the social aspect of it? Because that's what the that to me that's what I guess the criticism would be of homeschool versus public school. Mm-hmm. Obviously, 
if it was up to me, if it was my, as my opinion, private school would probably be the best place as far as academics and mixing in the social aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, when you were homeschooled, did you, how did you, how, I guess I'm asking, how did you make friends outside of the family? Because that's where, you know, in public school, that's where you made and met all your friends that you're going to have for a little yeah. while anyway. But yeah. I mean, it's not like you can go drive a car when you're 10. And go meet and go. You can. Well, it won't you go well. Sure, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I mean, how do you how do you go about doing that? Uh, well, I mean, we were we were pretty active. We were involved in 4-H. We were involved in, in Boy Scouts. I am an Eagle Scout, um, and, and and those provided a lot of avenues to uh, to make friends. Um, and actually, it's interesting because those were our main avenues to meet people. We tended actually to gravitate toward uh, better deeper friendships I found. And again, this is not to disparage no, people of course who choose not. public school or private school, but um, I mean, to, to me, everybody kind of has a model that works well for them and for their family. Every child's different. But um, at least for me, I think I found uh, the friendships I formed were a lot deeper um, and uh, were a lot more fulfilling okay. than uh, had I just kind of like met people by happenstance. Like I kind of had to go intentionally seek out like, you seem like an interesting person or you, you, you're a fun person to be around. And, um, and that was, that was largely through scouting or through 4-H or, uh, any number of the other programs that we were involved in. We were also part of a homeschool co-op organization. Okay. So, what's that? So it's, it's kind of like periodically, and there's actually one in, um, in ready that I now teach at, but it's, uh, it's, it's sort of informal organizations where families that homeschool will get together periodically and they'll do classes okay. together. And, um, it kind of provides you like a deeper community uh, of other people who kind of have a similar lifestyle. To when you have. Just the interaction in general has got to be good. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I sit there and not being, not ever, I, I think, I mean, I coached wrestling for 13 years. I think I've only had one kid that was homeschooled. Yeah. Um, and I guess it just works out sport-wise. You go to that school district you live in to play mm-hmm. any sports. I'm assuming. Yeah. I don't know. But, yeah. uh, and I just always assumed when he wasn't playing sports, mm-hmm. that he was just, there was nothing. Sitting at home. Yeah, sitting at home. Okay, when's it reading class? And, uh, you know, that's how I look at it. I have no idea. I have no clue. So the social the social life in, in college was fine because you were already had yeah. plenty of social experiences as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I, that, I still talk to a lot of people. I mean, I haven't seen them in like, like five, six years now, but um, I still talk to a lot of people community college and we, we kind of would meet up once in a while and kind of make like goofy videos or something. Um, I, I did definitely have kind of a very dorky immediate circle of friends, sure. but I mean, that suited me just fine. So, all right, you obviously got into MMA and, you know, the Muay Thai and the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, you're doing some of the boxing and all that stuff. You know, that's got to come from somewhere. I mean, did you get involved in any sports between being homeschooled and going to community college? Um... I mean, I, beyond just sort of like, like simple, like, Hey, let's play a game of football. Like, like as far as like organized, yeah. like going out and, and, and training and practicing several times a week, I think Muay Thai was really the first sport I committed myself to in that way. How old were you when you committed to that? Um, it was sophomore, senior year of college at Franciscan. Um, I know I had been trying to, uh, cause I, I, I mean, what I was studying at the time and what I, what I ultimately do for a living is I'm a, I'm a youth minister at a Catholic church. So, mm-hmm. um, I, 
was kind of thinking about it. Like I, I wasn't taking the best care of myself, you know, just my, my, my lifestyle, my diet wasn't great. I wasn't getting out and exercising as often as I should. So I was, uh, and, and it was kind of like, I was thinking about the fact that like, you know, there was a time in history where um, there were thousands and thousands of, of people who were willing to go and dedicate, you know, their whole professional life to what I did. Um, and now that's not so much the case. And okay. so there's kind of, I, I feel like it's almost like an obligation of like, look, the Lord gave me a lot of stuff to do and only one body in which to do it. So uh, I kind of got to take care of the one body that he gave me. Like I kind of have a responsibility to do that. So, so I've been trying for like, six months to like get on some kind of a workout program. We, we had a, a really huge, nice fitness center in our university. And, and I kept like trying to get on like a, some kind of a strategy. I tried CrossFit that didn't work. I tried jumping up and down on a box until I couldn't breathe and pronouncing <laughs> a CrossFit and that didn't work. <laughs> and I needed something that was kind of focused. Those CrossFit people are weird anyway. It's, it's just odd. It's, I think there's a, there's a really small, really passionate group of people within it that do it and do it well. And then there's kind of like a cloud of people around it that'll do it for like six months and like buy all the CrossFit gear and be like, yeah. They just like to wear it then at the end of the day. Yeah, and then, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) It's like people who get into CrossFit golf for like two weeks and think they're like, you know, Bruce Lee or something. I'm going to say, I I know what that is, but can you tell everybody else what the hell you just said? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Krav Maga, it's it's a, uh, they don't like it when you call it a martial art, but it's like a, a system some like throws and, and takedowns and grappling and, and punches and kicks um, that was developed by the IDF, the, uh, the Israeli army oh, okay. to use for their kind of hand-to-hand combat. Um, and so like every every person who like goes to school in Israel has to uh, has to get like a certain level of training in it. Oh, wow. So uh, like their, their whole population like has to now learn this kind of like hand-to-hand self-defense Just thing. because they go to school they have to learn this? Well, because they have um, they have mandatory service in, in Israel. The, that's right there's like a there's like a, a professional dedicated military and then there's like everybody else gets like a basic level of military training um i think we should have it here uh, yeah i mean i have i have my my opinions but well that's why you're here i should i should uh, <laughs> I, I should i should uh i should uh suspend some of them i think all right that's know. fine but um but yeah so but, but because it's developed to kind of be like um because most, most self-defense situations you'll find yourself in are over in 90 seconds or less. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's, it's really developed to be things you can learn, you can pick up quickly, and then you can apply in a, in a situation. Um, but the, the problem is people perceive it as like, oh, I can do this, and like I'll learn a couple of very sort of simple techniques for very specific situations, and then you know they think like, yeah, I got this, and like, then you know, they get into a fight, they get their, their head taken off. Because that specific situation didn't happen. Plus, a lot of stuff you learn, a lot of things I've found that you learn, mm-hmm. junk. Like, a lot of it's junk. Now, like, I'm getting way off track here. Like, we're not even anywhere near where I wanted to be. <laughs> but as far as the top three, say you had to pick three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you would say it. Three types of martial arts uh-huh. as your base. Yeah. Um, we were having this argument at work the other day because you yeah. know, we're being very productive. Um, I, and my, my thought, the guy that was making the argument was was all about karate. Okay. And I was like, okay, I mean, it depends what you're looking for. In my opinion, if you want to instill discipline and you're just looking for something to get into, 
in my opinion, that can be beneficial. Yeah. Uh, as far as practical use, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure. If I had to pick my base three, it would be wrestling, jujitsu, and Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Those are my three. Mm-hmm. Now, you have more experience in it than me. I've just had wrestling in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, agree, disagree, anywhere close to that? I mean, I, I don't have a, a ton of experience in wrestling. I, I and, and I'll preface all this with the fact that like there are black belts in, in Kempo Karate that could absolutely demolish Sure, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. That's not, um, uh, yeah, but, that's not the uh, argument at all. But Yeah, but I, I mean, I think my personal opinion is uh, the two that I practice would be would be Muay Thai and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I think you can supplement and incorporate some techniques from other martial arts. Like like at the MMA Academy, for example, we'll, we'll do um, we'll do judo throws mm-hmm. sometimes because just there's a if there's an effective takedown, you don't want to be like, no, I'm not going to use it. Sure. Um, because if it's effective, you use it. But like as, a, as an overarching discipline, as an approach, um, I think there's three components to like being in an actual fight that you need to be aware of. Like one would be striking, just mm-hmm. kicks, punches, knees, elbows, um, basically anything that like doesn't involve like sustained contact with the other person. Um, and then also you need to have grappling, which is like if the person grabs you, if you grab the other person, if you end up going to the ground with the person having to wrestle them into, into some kind of a compromising position. Um, so I would say. Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu because Muay Thai has a it incorporates um, punches, kicks, knees, elbows, um, using the feet, using the shins, um, and then also clinches, and and you know you can use some techniques from boxing and stuff, but then also like that will give you kind of like the cardio that you need mm-hmm. as far as conditioning yourself. Um, and then uh, I, I think Jiu Jitsu is, is the most effective for ground grappling, um, just because like it, it you can. I mean, jiu-jitsu actually is Japanese for gentle art, mm-hmm. um, and, and Brazilian jiu-jitsu is cool because, you know, it can at the same time be the most dangerous martial art, and at the same time be the most gentle and merciful Well, yeah, you can art. kill somebody. Yeah. That's, <laughs> they don't understand. You can't tap out. You, you can't get out of a freaking rear naked choke unless they want you to if yeah. you're in a street fight. Yeah. You can die. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, like, but you need to have both sides of that. You need to have the grappling and the striking because, like, you could... Like, if you're a really, really good jujitsu person, but you don't have any stand-up game, like, you know, somebody could attack you, and you could do a jump guard, pull them to the ground, and you get your head slammed on the ground, and then they can punch you in the eye and bust your circular if you don't know how to protect your face. Um, but I would say kind of a third part of that, um, I don't, I don't know, you might consider this a martial art, you might not, but I would just consider just general, like, like, verbal de-escalation and awareness. Ah, that's an interesting term. Would be a... An important component of that because I mean the the I mean and, and professor says this sometimes where he's like the you know a, a fight you win is a fight you can walk away from. I love that actually a lot. So, yeah, and a so, lot. And so by like understanding kind of like how to avoid a fight, you know, going hands on, like if you can talk the person down and say like, "Whoa, bro, I'm sorry, like, my bad," and, yeah. and and walk out and end the end the confrontation, then then great. If if it's going a different way and you need to like talk the person down by being like look here's what's going to happen if, if, if sure, this continues yeah. to escalate and like I'm going to take your arm home with me <laughs> exactly right. um, and that is uh, sufficient to kind of like remove the, the, the desire to have a conflict then, then great but with that there's a certain amount of just like learning how to judge a situation learning how to avoid being in a stupid situation to sure. with. Um, and then knowing how to make a decision as to when it needs to go, uh, when it needs to go hands on, because 
you know, there's there's uh, legal implications, there's moral implications, there's your own personal safety. You don't know what that person's capable of. You don't know what they have, have on them. Yeah, you yeah. know, if they have a gun or a knife or something. Um, so, I mean, in, in my opinion, if somebody wanted to kind of fully develop themselves as a, as a, as a martial artist and, and kind of have a proficient kind of arsenal of different self-defense skills, I would say uh, I would point them to Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and then just general like reading up on how to verbally de-escalate. There's a really good book called Verbal Judo okay. that, that um, deals a lot with that. And I mean, there's like, and I think more and more like law enforcement has been kind of picking up like, you know, the need to have greater training in this area. I mean, there's, sure. There's a video that came out on like uh, of, a, of a police officer in Salt Lake City that like pulled somebody over and the guy like rushes out and like, I don't know if he had a knife or something, but like literally you just see the cop like just saying like, go back in your car. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. <laughs> it's a, it's a freaking ticket. Like get right. back in your car. I'm not, I'm not doing this today. Wow. Um, Guy's lucky he didn't get shot. Yeah. Hundred, yeah. Very lucky he didn't get shot. But, I mean like, you know, you, 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 and, and, and situations go south really, really quickly. And, well, and, yeah, so. it, it sucks because I've been on the criminal justice side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I worked in, well, just locally, I worked in uh, Berks County Youth Detention okay. when that was still here. Before okay. it was just an ICE building and, be, and the prison, mm-hmm. uh, we, there used to be a detention center there. They had cutbacks, so I was one of the newer classes that got in, so mm-hmm. out the door. Okay. And uh, then I got a job at uh, uh, Children's Home of Reading. Okay. Worked there for a couple of years. Then I moved out to Pittsburgh uh, to live with my fiance and worked at a place called the Academy. And now I went from working in two relatively, I'd say stable places. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that the children's home was privately owned, but uh, it ran it ran like a government mm-hmm. type of facility. Yeah. The academy was privately owned mm-hmm. and it was fucked up. It was a yeah. messed up place. There was, when the, when the owner of the company walked into a room, you had to stand and applaud. It was like, it was like Hitler. It was like uh, North yeah, Korea. Yeah. If you didn't applaud hard enough, uh, it was like you were pointed out and like, okay, that guy's not getting promoted. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was messed up. And that was the most eye-opening experience to there are some places like Berks County Youth that was perfect, ran like a machine. Yeah. The juveniles in there knew mm-hmm. this is what you do, this is what you don't do. And for nine out of ten times, followed everything, didn't have a problem many times. Yeah. And children's home, you're dealing with more mental more mental illness there. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of issues with that. Mm-hmm. But then the, the academy was complete garbage. Mm-hmm. And it was the worst experience I've ever had. I was in a fight every day. Holy cow. Uh I was in much better shape because I had to be. Yeah. Um, I, I actually went running. Yeah. I went running and I'd lift three days a week because wow. I was the guy they called in when there was a problem. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's things that I did that I'm not proud of there. But you know what? If you don't follow along, mm-hmm. you're the you're the outskirt. You're, you're the guy. And you know, I'm, I'm the minority in that situation with juvenile and staff. Mm-hmm. So here I am, this white kid from, I didn't grow up in Reading, I grew up in Topton, Pennsylvania. I don't know yeah. if you know where that is. I don't. It's uh, maybe 20 minutes and nothing, and they have one traffic light. So it's a little redneck town. Okay. I'm coming from there, out to here, where, all right, all of my staff members are African-American, all the, 90% of the inmates are African-American. 
Mm-hmm. I need to assimilate mm-hmm. to what's going on here, or I'm not gonna last. Mm-hmm. So and and so that's when when you see the stuff on TV, mm-hmm. how can a cop do that? How can it, it's like? I get it. I mean, that's his life. I get it a little bit. And, and what's interesting to me is is because like um, when you know and and you know I think I mean my best friend is is a, is, is in law enforcement and um but you know and, and some of the and, and he'll tell you too like some of the criticism is is justified. Some of it's fair. Yep. Um and like there was a there was a recent situation where like a young man was 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 killed in Pittsburgh and I saw lot, that there, there's 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 a certain amount of like understandable outrage resulting from that but what you don't hear is like. That cop was disciplined. Like that, that cop has been fired and like indicted for homicide. Which is a like, problem. Yeah. Yes, that's a problem, and I completely agree. So like, um, but uh, you know, one of the things like uh, that, that always struck me as interesting is kind of when um, when law enforcement kind of started really, really kind of taking fire in the, in the media and in, in the, the public square. Um, there was a, there was this huge call for like body cams on every officer, yeah. um, and police departments that could implement something like that were were you know, often willing to do it. Yeah. Um, and what people found was like, mostly they're ju- the cop is justified. Yeah. Is what I, I see. I mean, there's, there's been situations where like now, like people have, have started like saying like, this cop did this, this cop did this, this cop did this. And then, you know, the police department will release the body cam footage and you'll realize like, Oh shoot. Like, yes. This could have been a nothing ticket. And yes. they got in like the example yeah. you gave, got out of their car and caused a huge problem when yeah. you could have drove home. You know, and like when you when you when you actually see from the standpoint of like this person who you know has a responsibility to protect this community, then like I, I think it, it just it changes things. So um, what's interesting to me is is, is like the, there was a there was a call for this basically as like a way to like catch these guys yeah. in the act of of, of uh, you know causing a acting a fool, and then like you know as a result, I think it just kind of created an environment that like people were more understanding of. So you th- you th- you actually think today they're more understanding? I, I think we're getting there. I mean, I hope we're getting there, but I, I don't see a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, I think the, the internet is the best and the worst tool out there mm. for dealing with this because on one hand you can you can really really get caught up in this area, but on the other hand, like we have all the information at our fingertips, mm-hmm. and, and so I think the more people are willing to actually like take a deep breath step outside of your own biases for a second and go and actually investigate the situation. I, I think it's fair to ask people on, on both sides of, of the it is, absolutely. Like that to do that, um, to not jump to a conclusion. I, I think that, um, I think the environment is slowly getting better for law enforcement. It's obviously there's, um, there's still, there's still a great amount of tension over it, but, um, it's I certainly better than the "What do we want, dead cops? What do we want them now?" chance. Yeah. It's certainly better than that. Yeah. It's better than that. Yeah. Now let's get back to where we left off. Yeah, so that was a good day. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so you, what did you major in at community college? Um, I'm not going to pronounce it. I refuse. I. <laughs> Okay. Again, side tangent. Yeah. Um, consequently, it's why it's kind of now a run downtown is there was all this industry that was built around, um, you know, shipping on by water and then people stopped using water as like a, like rivers as a way to ship like large quantities of freight. And so, you know, we lost a lot of the... the That's what, trucking and rail car now? What's up? Trucking and rail car now or what? Uh, I think so for the most part. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, 
But I, I majored in just, just gen eds. I was, I mean, the, the reality is, you know, nobody will get, nobody gets rich working for the Catholic Church. And then I kind of went in knowing that, like, what I wanted to do was, was ministry. Um, and so I, I was trying to avoid, like, additional student debt as far as I could avoid it. So, so I went there trying to knock out some of my gen eds. And, and I think, I, I mean, I transferred before I even finished my associates there. And I think that my, my diploma would have said, like, trans, literally just the word transfer student. Okay. Or, like, transfer arts student or something like that. But um, I just want to get, like, my history language requirements out before I had to spend a lot of money to do it. Sure. And right after that, and again, I'm not freaking working against today. So, okay, the university at Steubenville. Franciscan. 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 I could have said that, but I can't read my own handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> Franciscan University of Steubenville. Okay, so you went there after their community college. And, and how long were you there? Um, I was at Franciscan for three years. And you just start, you, I, what, did you, what did you do there? I mean, I majored in youth ministry, or, or I mean, my, my degree is technically called catechetics. I wrote that, but I couldn't another, read it. Another fun word. <laughs> um, but uh, my my concentration was in youth ministry, so I, I mainly just learned about um, about people and about uh, Christ and the church and how to bring those two people together a little bit more. That's a very brief summary of a, a, a lot more in-depth I could go into. But right. The, that's the main thing is I learned about Christ and the church and I learned about people and I learned methods to bring them together. Okay, and that's when you started the youth ministry there? Mm-hmm. Or, or Okay. Yeah, yeah. And what year was that? How long ago was that? Um, I mean, I had been doing ministry-related things before that, but um, I started I started working with a, a church my sophomore year, I want to say. So that was, I graduated from June for 2014, I think I started. Okay. And that was really where I started kind of like parish level ministry. I had, I had been a missionary before that. I had, um, you know, I had... Now what, what's, what's involved in that? Because I have that written down here and uh, I don't have a timeline. The missionary. Oh, yeah. And you did that at the Archdiocese of Chicago? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I spent two summers uh, just traveling um, the city and we would go from church to church and we would run like a little a camp or, or a program retreat there and uh it, it was called totus to us and so we would uh you know through doing that we would um we would work mainly with children and with teens and so during the day we would run kind of like a day camp for, for the children in the city and then um during the evenings we would run like a like a teen uh retreat program um and it, was, it was about a week long and then we pack everything up and go to the next parish and um i did that for two summers and, and they're both amazing my little yeah. brother's actually doing it right now Oh yeah. So it's running in the family. So obviously you were you were raised in that mold there. Yeah, you could say that. Okay. Um, you obviously did a lot of other things along the way. I mean, you you were the team lead, You were a team leader at the archdiocese. You were uh, then then you get into some interesting uh, <laughs> stuff here. Uh, you were a seafood processor and a deckhand of North Pacific Seafood. Yeah. Where? Okay. So. So far, everything makes a little bit of sense and follows a pattern. Where did you go? Yeah, deadliest catch. I want to do that. <laughs> when did that come into your head? So I, um, I had been going to school for a year. Um, no, I, I think I've been going like two years because I, I did, I did the year KCC and then that the summer between KCC 
Syracuse the first year, and then the summer between sophomore, so it was my junior year, by the way, I, sh- I should have said that it was 2014, it was my junior year, not my sophomore year, but um, my junior year, I, uh, between my sophomore and junior year, I did, I was the team leader for a Dota Syracuse team, and then it was between my soft, my junior year and my senior year, sorry, I'm, I'm getting No, you're fine, I'm horrible at dates. It was between my junior and my senior year that, um, you know, I was kind of getting to that point where, like, I was getting ready to graduate, and I was getting ready to kind of go off and do my thing in the world, and um, I, I realized, like, I, I wanted to, to travel a little bit. I wanted to, to do some things that I hadn't had a chance to do yet or um, hadn't had the courage to do yet, if you want to call it that, um, and I wanted to see America really badly, so I, um, I heard from a friend about uh, this, this job at a, like, a, a cannery worker, basically. The, the thing about, so most of the domestically caught fish in the United States are caught in Bristol Bay, Alaska, okay. um, which is actually the biggest salmon fishery in the world. Um, but the nature of fish, I don't know if you know this, but you know, give, them, give them a little while after being caught, they're not... They don't smell good? Is that what you're trying they, to say? They don't, they don't yeah. <laughs> and, and, and give them a couple days before you process them, and they're, they're, no, they're not good to eat. So, right, sure. So the, the thing is, like, you catch them, but then you got to process them, like, within, like, two or three days. Um, so, like, even if you, like, have them in, like, a freezer tank. Sure, yeah. So, um, so a lot of these companies will have these, like, these facilities on the, on the coast in Bristol Bay where they'll, they'll basically just run them 24 hours a day and just, like, boats will bring in their catch, they'll dump them, cannery will will give them a receipt for the number of fish they caught and then the cannery will process the, the the fish and ship them out so i was working in the the first year when i was a seafood processor i was actually working in the actual cannery right i was receiving the fish and then excuse me sorry sorry and that gave me a chance to uh it gave me a chance to kind of see the pacific northwest um on my way up there i ended up taking greyhound which is a horrible idea yeah why <laughs> what, a terrible bus ride or well, just greyhound just, in general it, 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 i mean it was just it was long it was long it was a long time to spend on a bus it seemed like such a good how idea long? at the time how long were you on the bus um i spent 25 hours on the road uninterrupted how, so. uninterrupted no like, stop i mean between like like we would stop to get on a different bus okay like layovers but like not like stopping to like see in a hotel right. or anything like that. Like I would maybe stop at like a half hour at a gas station, stretch my legs, walk around. But how bad is a Greyhound bathroom after tw- after that long on the bus? Uh, <laughs> what was your longest one stretch? You know, there's a, there's like a, it's like a, almost like a bell curve. Like it, it's it, it's bad at the beginning and then it gets worse after a couple hours. But there's like a certain threshold where like you you hit it and then it's just like it, so you it, numb it, out you kind of just pop <laughs> out yeah and then, and then it just sort of so i think that was great on in general but um that would be the worst yeah i went from so i i took a, a mega bus by yourself though this is all by yourself yeah um one backpack from chicago to minnesota i spent a week in minnesota um i, I crashed on a friend's couch there um that was fun and then i took a Greyhound bus from Minneapolis to Seattle. Then I stayed in Seattle for a week. And then I flew to Alaska. I worked five or six weeks up in Alaska. Um, and that's the nice thing about working in Canada is you, you can make decent money in a relatively short period of time. Right. Um, so I... I uh, Same as on the boat? What's up? S- same kind of 
Yeah, yeah. Your the difference with the cannery and the boat is you're paid by the day on the boat versus by the hour on the cannery. So like, if there's no fish, there's there's no money on right. the cannery. But versus like, so that, that was a nice part of being on the boat the second year was uh, you know, I just kind of like as long as as long as our boat's out there and as long as I'm you're getting paid. Yeah, I'm getting paid. Yeah. So I I get paid either way. Um, because I was on a, I was on a tender boat. It's a little it's a little different if you're actually on the boat that's catching the fish. But so you're on the the offload. Yeah, essentially. Okay. Um, the so there's there's kind of uh, this is another tangent. So no, that's fine. Stop me if I'm going no, too long here. Very good. So um, there's kind of two. For a while, there was two extremes in the fishing world. There's some some countries and some areas where like there's no regulation on fishing whatsoever, and you'll see that in a lot of like um, Asian Pacific areas where like they'll just fish until there's no fish left. Yes, which is terrible. But and the problem is, yeah, once once those spawning routes are gone, they're gone. Yeah. Like there, there will not be fish that will spawn on that route anymore once you once you kill off that population. There's, wow. There's not going to be another school of fish that's going to swim through there because they know they follow the same spawning routes as their parents follow. Um, so if you eliminate all of the, 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 the fish that would be spawning on there, then you know they call it escapement. If there's no escapement, there's no more fish that are going to use that route. Sure. So um, you'll see that with some countries, and then you'll see other countries which regulate it so strictly that um there's it just it's not a viable industry to, to be in you can't make any money doing it it's, it's, it's so tightly regulated and so um bristol bay is cool in that the kind of alaska department of fish and, and wildlife just says let's do both let's let's find a way to make this profitable but also sustainable and so their response is instead of having big boats go out and do all of the all the fishing they send out thousands and thousands of tiny boats mm -hmm. and so you can yield a lot of fish but each area that's being fished has like such a low impact that um, the, the, there's enough escapement for the- You don't the, kill the rats. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the spawning rock can kind of repair itself. Um, and but the problem is those, those boats are not really good for like long-term travel. And it can be like a long haul to get out to, to some of those areas. What's a, what's a long haul? Um, I mean, we, we were anchored in Pleshack River, which was, I think, Six hours one way, Oof. Um, and so and then that was going through open water in Bristol Bay, and so. Um, so that was like boating to Pittsburgh. Kind of. Well, exactly. boating to Erie. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but so so the response is they, they build these uh these larger boats that um are uh, built kind of for that for that trip, and so we would go out and we would uh, we would collect the fish and we would collect the garbage and we would bring the fishermen like their supplies and their mail and, and everything else um, and then we would collect the fish and we would bring it back. Um, it's actually interesting because we worked with set netters who like worked actually in the river and just set nets out in the river. Set netters? Set netters. Why do they say it backwards? Why don't they just call them net setters? Because they're, they're setting nets. Because but... they're, they're Alaskans <laughs> and they don't care. Don't okay. <laughs> but, and, and that's interesting because you think like a fishing boat and you imagine like you know like the maverick from Devil yeah, and, and a set never used a boat that can hold maybe six people, you know. Yeah, it's not like even close. It's a little speedboat, like right. Um, but then there's some bigger ones that are, uh, you know, about the size of like a trailer. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and actually, speaking of the Maverick, the Maverick does contract with North Pacific Seafood. So during the off season, when they're not in the in the Bering Sea catching uh -huh. snow crabs, because that's only in, in like a very small period of the year, like. The rest of, or like during the summer when it's salmon season, they're actually tending for North Pacific seafood like like we were. So 
Yeah, I see a lot of that when I actually watch the show. Yeah. Um, they, well, they got to work year round. They got to make their money. Those boats yeah. aren't cheap to run. Yeah. Um, and so, did you on your boat? Uh, what was your boat called? My boat was called the Porpoise. The Porpoise. So on the Porpoise, did they offload like I see on TV where they're taking them just in shoots and uh-huh. kind of? It's almost like a hose. Yeah. Your 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 uh, your hydro seeding salmon <laughs> down into your. Uh, well, we have. Um... We have kind of four big tanks on the boat, and they all and all four of the tanks had a little uh, a little gate, a little door that you would lift up, and it would let everything it would dump everything out of the tank. And then there's kind of like a big tray in the middle of the boat that would sort of just like slide them all down. So um, so it, it wasn't quite like that. Like we did have like a hose that we would spray it down, but that was just to keep it wet and slippery. Right. And then we would open the, the gates up, and just sort of all the fish would dump into the middle, and then you know they would kind of all pour into a big big tank that would scoop them all so no fish hose well all right i'm a little disappointed in you but that's fine (laughs) could have lied um (laughs) so the cannery does now as far as the cannery goes your hours Mm -hmm. on that i'm assuming have to be crazy or do you have set hours there they're they're generally a 16 hour shift okay Um, but it's open 24 yeah it it runs 24 hours a day and there's there's three shifts and they overlap with each other so like a shift will start and like you'll be starting and like the first eight hours of your shift you'll be working with the people from C shift and then at the end of when you'll go to lunch C shift will go to bed mm-hmm. and then when you come back from lunch B shift will be starting their shift and then you'll work another eight hours and then you'll eat dinner you'll go to bed B shift will keep working through the night and when you're going to bed C shift's coming out gotcha. so, over. so it's it's um so the, the facility runs 24 hours but Typically, you'll work. I mean, what? at the height of the season, you'll be working sixteen hours. What shift were you on? I was on A shift. So. so what? What was that time frame again? A shift. A shift. Um, I, I, no, I don't have the exact. I mean, it was if you. So when the season was was full, like when we were running at full capacity, we would be working sixteen hours and we'd be sleeping eight hours. Sure, but my. I want to shower and eat. I, I guess my question would be. Was it like a typical, you started at six in the morning and you worked, like what, as far as A shift goes? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think here. I think you, I think we got up at six, started working at 6.30. Um, so you were a typical day shift. In, yeah, in yeah. More or less because the 16 hours. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd be going to bed like, and it's, and it's Alaska, so the sun's out the entire Yeah, time. does that mess with you? How does that mess with you? It, it does. Like I... A vampire. I, I will tell you, like we had to, we, we taped like trash bags up against our windows, so yeah, yeah. it would be pitch dark in our room so we could sleep. But it, I mean, like the the, the lack of sleep messes with you. Yeah. Like you know, I remember there was um I was so <laughs> I was so tired on the flight home or on the flight back to Anchorage that I actually hallucinated on the flight. Really? I was so tired. Yeah. No, no mushrooms, no ayahuasca, no, nothing. No, <laughs> it, was, it was so weird. Cause like, so this thing is, is uh, to keep the facility clean, all the machines are constantly getting sprayed with water. There's people that walk around with like fire hoses and just spray the machines down. Okay. Cause it, it, you don't want to like get like a, a, a nasty piece of like salmon guts like stuck in something that's going to like fester and grow a bunch of bacteria. Right. And, and, and it's on everything. Yeah. And so there's, and there's, so there's that. And then there's also just all the machines like have kind of their own little system that'll rinse them. So you're constantly, you're wearing these boots that go up to your knees and you're constantly like ankle deep in water because it's like all rushing out and then sometimes a bunch of fish guts will get stuck in the drain and the water will get deeper. And 
Um, and I remember I like I fell asleep on the plane and I was still wearing my big rubber boots. <laughs> so you were everybody's friends. You probably smelled great. Right. Yeah. Oh, they got it. Then. So we were good. But I, I fell asleep and I was still wearing my big rubber boots and I kind of like nodded off and I remember waking up and I like looked down and I saw like water like around my ankles <laughs> like I was still. You hallucinated that you were back there. And I was I was freaking out on the uh, like I'm sitting here in the plane thinking like. I mean, somehow in my, like, delusional, tired mind, like, I, I was convinced that, like, clouds were, like, condensing on the inside of the aircraft. Oh, my God. Like, you were messed up. I, well, this is the thing is, is we worked a 16-hour shift, and then we found, because they don't, they don't give you a lot of warning. It's like, once, once there's too many people in the cannery, like, it is not profitable for them to keep you there. Like, it's because you are, you, like, like, they have to pay to house you, feed you. Um, do your laundry. They, have, they actually have a staff. So you paid there. nothing. Um, no, I didn't. I, I paid no room or board or anything like that. And is that a program or something, or do, can you just go? I want to do this, and they'll just be like, good. We need people. That's um. That's that's typically. Uh, I mean, for the company that I work with, North Pacific, they don't charge room and board. They they consider that kind of part of your compensation wow. for working there. Um, they'll also cover your flight to and from Alaska, which is cool because that that can be pretty expensive. But you just got to get there. Yeah. So on a, on um, a bus. <laughs> I need to get as far as Seattle. Seattle's the point of hire. But um, I'm trying to think what happened here. So we had just worked at 16. And so they don't give you a lot of warning. They, they told us literally, they're like, hey, you're going home tomorrow, pack your stuff. So, and sometimes they won't even give you that. Sometimes like you'll wake up and you'll show up for work and they'll be like, no, no, your, your, your flight takes off in two hours. Go get your stuff. Why aren't you on the plane right now? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, because they don't want, they're, they're concerned that like people will like be like, we're going home tomorrow. And then they'll go and they'll, they'll go into the town and they'll party or okay. something. And then they'll miss their flight. And then, uh, yeah, so, but uh, me and my buddy Rio, um, we, uh, we had both just got off at 16. We were both leaving the next day. So we both stayed up. We, we packed our stuff. And then by the time that we were like ready to go to bed, it was like super, it was like stupidly early in the morning. And we were like, all right, we can either sleep for a couple hours and possibly miss our flight tomorrow, or we can force each other to stay, stay awake up. and oh. make sure that we both get to our flights tomorrow. So that's what we decided to do. And so I, I, it was more than 24 hours of like no sleep. What'd you do to stay up? Uh, you know, I think we just talked. We I'm just, horrible at that. We just talked about our life. We just stupid jokes and after a while like you know everything's hilarious well because you're like drunks you're <laughs> drunk tired yeah right so but yeah so so i uh, i thought that the clouds were leaking into the <laughs> <laughs> i remember like because i fell asleep again i was like this is stupid like this is not happening like i fell asleep again and then i woke up again and it was happening again right so i like yanked my rubber boots off and, like planted my feet on the floor and i'm like there, there i don't feel any water i'm good like, so that snapped you out of just putting your yeah. actual feet on the floor yeah it was weird and then i i but i you don't want to freak out in an airplane it's not the best thing <laughs> no, i mean i got well i remember i, I vaguely recall because it was like that half like when your alarm goes off and mm. it's saturday and you know you don't have to get up but you probably should and you're kind of like eh, right it was like that but i remember looking over and seeing uh one of the flight attendants and she was just chip so i was like all right like we're good. If there's water in the plane, like, she obviously knows what's going on, so we're good. Wow, so you were 100% living that. That was real. I was, it was, I was, I mean, it was terrifying, but like, wow. So, but no, I got, I got on that plane and I was asleep before we were off the tarmac. Like, kind I of nice. sat down, buckled up, and just, I was out. Man, you were exhausted. Yeah. And then you went back. I and then you went back another year. 
Yeah. After that her horrifying experience, after the after the miserable bus ride, you said, "Yeah, I'll do that again." Yeah, I um, I, I was a little well. My my intention actually was to go do another missionary uh, summer in Fort, because like I had this whole plan. It was funny because like you know they joke about like you you want to make God laugh, you know, when you tell him your plans. But um, I like I had this whole plan worked out. I had this job lined up where like I was gonna I was gonna wait to go into ministry. I was gonna do like this. Like kind of niche skilled trade job that one of my friend's dads was, was going to help set me up with. Um, and I was just going to work for like a year and just try to pay off all my student loans and just, you know, be, you know and then, then I was going to go into ministry after that. And so um, my plan was go home, fix up my dad's truck, go to Texas, do a missionary thing in Texas, come back, start working on this job, work it for a year, and then go into ministry. That was my plan. Um, got home. Um, there's no way I'm going to be able to fix this truck. So I need to buy a new car. <laughs> um, this job is not like this is within like like twelve hours of me getting home. This job like is is like because there's like a union rule or something. Like I I'm, I'm basically not gonna be able to do this for like two years. Right. You... And and it was it was supposed to be like a temporary gig. Um. So like and like so there's a union rule that's keeping me basically disqualifying me from the job for an indefinite period of time. Um. And it's just like nothing was working out. So like I. I called the, the camp that I was going to work at. I'm like, I'm really, really sorry. And they were, they were very understanding about it. But like, I needed, the fact is, I needed to make money. Right, like, sure. I needed, I needed funds because I was going to have to buy a truck, or I was going to have to buy a car, um, and then I was going to have to move somewhere for work where I did not yet know where I was going to work. Right, yeah. And I had to like apply for jobs. So um, I needed time and I needed money. And the, the two things that that job in Alaska had afforded me was um, an opportunity to make a lot of money within a short period of time. Absolutely. So, so that's what I did. Um, and then I got up there fully intending to work another year or another semester, summer as a, pro- <laughs> yeah. as a processor. Um, There's no water on the floor, just right, in yeah, case you're wondering right now. Just, yeah, yeah. You look my, tired. I, I just want to make sure. And then like I, uh, I, um, I got up there and that year it was just stupid luck like it was but that year the uh, the department of um fish and wildlife in alaska was moving um was moving tender boat books over to like electronic only so like usually the, the, the skipper the captain of, of the tender boat like they keep track of all of the all of the catches and everything they write the receipts for all of the uh, all the fishermen and everything so they basically they're responsible for knowing how much fish is being caught who is being caught by where it's being so they would keep a logbook, and, and then they were supposed to like give their log logbook over like every time they would go to shore, and they would like take a picture or something, and they would update this big network of like the entire bay, mm-hmm. like thousands of fishermen, like who's catching what and where it's being caught, so that fish and wildlife can basically track like, oh shoot, like we're we're killing off this entire population. Yeah, we need, this to, river, right. we need to slow this down, or oh we can catch. So they the regs yeah. change as you go. Yeah, I mean we'll we'll and and and. They'll, sometimes they'll direct fishermen to different spawning routes and sometimes they'll like let fishermen know like they'll like put a hold for like a day of like like our, there was a couple days this uh, the year that I was working there where like it was really really hot and the fish didn't want to swim up lake or swim up river so they basically just said like stop fishing for a little while because if you if you if you set netters go out there put your nets out like you're gonna be catching all the fish that are currently going up the lake and we right. don't, or up the river and we don't want that so um, so sometimes they'll put like a hold on it. Like, there's, like, How an, pissed do people get when they do that? Uh, it usually uh, this is the thing that really surprised me is is usually usually fishermen are pretty understanding of like 
if there's not a population of fish to respawn, they're out of a job. Right. So, okay. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. When it's like two, three, four days in a row and there's no end in sight, they get rammy. Then people start to get annoyed because they're stressed out. Right. They're like, we don't. We like, we need to. We need to be back. We're spending money too. Yeah, we're spending yeah. money to be here. We need to be back in lower forty-eight by a certain date. We need to make money before then. So, uh, and that's a lot of them. That's their livelihoods. So, right. So, um, but uh, what was I going? Oh yeah. So, um, <laughs> so they were changing it over where they were doing everything by computer. Mm. Um, and the problem is my my skipper on on the porpoise um, was eighty-one years old. Ah. Yeah, that's not going to go well with technology. Yeah. So, so basically, they they went and they asked a bunch of the supervisors in the cannery. They were like, "We need somebody who um, is easy to get along with." This is not a sign for you, but they're like, we, "We need somebody who's easy to get along with, who can understand computers, um, and who's not going to complain." I agree with everything but the first part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, and it's it's not it's not a, a comfortable couple of weeks on a on a tiny boat with you know three other people. And no opportunity to do laundry or right. regular sleep sleep schedule. But like you basically like you sleep when there's no boats. And when boats show up to, to drop their fish off, like you better be up because right. these fishermen it's time. need to drop their fish off so they can go back and they can sleep and they can eat. So so like my whole sleep schedule is basically like whenever there's like low water. Right. The fishermen are right. out fishing at that point, so I, I can sleep then. And so So how what's your longest stretch besides the previous year at the cannery? Did you ever have a longer stretch where you weren't sleeping? You know, I, I didn't really keep track of it because I just slept whenever I could on the boat. Um, there was actually, a, a, like, I, I do remember several times like falling asleep at my workstation mm-hmm. on the boat because, like, I would sit there with the computer and I would keep track of everything. And I would, you know, if, if, um, if my skipper needed me to go downstairs and grab something or something, because he's, he's an older guy, it's harder for him to move around. Um, he'll forget something and he'll leave me to run. But, like, um, I do remember several times like falling asleep at my workstation on the... <laughs> On the uh, on the bridge in, in the boat, and so I um uh I, I don't really keep track of it as much because I would just kind of sleep when I can. And, right. You know, when I hear a boat, it's time to wake up and it's time to work. So now, normally, I mean, I guess you could say that was a lucky break that you caught. Yeah. Doing that. Um, <clears throat> normally, I mean, are the guys on these boats the normal guys that are there every year on these boats? Um. There are a lot of people who are like there consistently. It's like like Glenn, like my skipper had been working there for like twenty years, I think, at that point. What about the rest of the deckhands there? Um, are you the new guy, and they've all been there and oh, know the I, routine? Yeah, my the the youngest guy after me was fifty six years old. So how does that go? Is there an initiation or something like that? Because <laughs> it sounds like you got a job of transferring information, which is not the worst thing you could do on a on a on a boat. Yeah. And here's this young guy coming in, and here's these. Grizz, grizzled yeah. veterans, man, I can't get off the deck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there was a little bit of that in the beginning, and I remember. Um, but I do remember there was one day, like, and, and you know, we would get into, we, we would get into it sometimes, like, yeah. like, and you know, me and, and other other like the other deckhand, um, the, the the older guy who's like he's like fifty something years old. Um, he was angry because he was like, I've been on boats for like like my entire life, like since I was six years old. And, you know, and, and I'm still, I mean, and a certain amount of it is justified. Like, I don't understand the language that they use. I don't understand, like, the procedures and everything. And, um, and I remember there was one day I, I walked up to our engineer, um, and I was, just, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with this guy. Like, he needs to cut the crap, or he's taking a swim. Like, I, right. like those, yeah. are, those are the options at this point. And um, it was interesting because, like, he, um, Newt was his name, and, and uh, Newt 
drank some whiskey and, and we talked and um, I learned a little bit more about his life. He was a Vietnam veteran and, and um, wow. And uh, you know, as we kind of went back and forth, like I ended up, I just I I, I asked him, I was like, give me, give me something to do. Give me a job. I I don't care if it's like the crappiest job that nobody wants to do. Just just give me a job other than the one I have. Um, and and so he. <laughs> He joked, he's like, well, you know, the, the tank needs to be scrubbed out. I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's go. So I, I put on like my rain gear and I jumped down into the tank with a bucket and there's like algae and fish guts and everything. And I just, I spent a couple hours just scrubbing it out and I, I sprayed the whole thing out. And it was kind of like, there was a, uh, the next interaction I had with this other deckhand, there was just kind of a moment of like, all right, you're, you're okay. You know, there's respect. Yeah. Well, cause it's like, it's, it, 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 there's this whole sense of like. It's, it's almost like it's similar to the military where there's like, they talk about like embracing the suck. Like you need to kind of, you need to suffer in the same way that everybody right. else in this group sure. suffers. Paying your dues. Yeah, exactly. Dues. So, and, and, I, and through that I ended up, cause, um, I ended up speaking to this guy, uh, a little bit more and learning a little bit more about his life and, and turned out to be an okay guy. Like we right. just, we're just two, two very different people that were, um, forced to live in very close quarters. Right. Oh no. Like a month and a half. I can absolutely understand that young guy comes along. Gets a cushier job, not that. cushy, but cushier. Yeah, I mean, you could say that. Like, and yeah, I mean that's you can have to be resentment. I can absolutely see that. But you know, how is that your fault? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know so, that sucks when that happens. It's just an effort of like you kind of have to kind of have to like try to understand this person where they're coming from, and then once you do that, it's very empowering because you can, um, you know, that you can change the way that you approach them, mm-hmm. or at least you can change the way you respond to the things they do. Like right. Sure. All right, so we got the crab boat. You, well, not crab boat. Sorry, salmon boat. I apologize, salmon boat. Um, crab, crab fishermen are actually like a little, a little bit insane. Like, yeah, like a little crazy. Well, that. it looks like hell. It looks like, and they, they, they seem to enjoy it. I mean, like my, like, like even my, my engineer knew was a, he was a, he was a crab fisherman. He was actually one of the best crab fishermen in the country at really? one point. And um, he, uh, but I mean, he talks about it like, like he's. Moments of his life when, when he was like fighting really rough seas and ice was blasting over his deck and people were throwing up because he survived it. That's why it's the best moment. And, and because he is, it's like almost like a victory. Like it's like I did it and I won. Right. Yeah. Sure. I'm not down at the bottom here. Exactly. <laughs> I'm doing yeah. all right. Yeah. So all this, all that mm-hmm. takes place between you, you, you getting out of community college <laughs> and today. Yeah. Okay. So this is a span of, you graduated, when did you graduate? I graduated, um, 2016. Okay. So you did a lot. You did a lot of things in a very short span of time. And then you went, you know what? Uh, get a little chubby. I should get into MMA. I should get kicked in the head. So. Well, I was already doing, I had already done Muay Thai. The Muay Thai when you were younger. Right. I I just missed it. I I really missed martial arts because, because I think that was the first moment in my life where like I really started to kind of really feel like I was making some progress in, in my own fitness level and also because it's like it's a practical skill like mm-hmm. being able to defend yourself is a universally useful skill absolutely so, um, it, it kind of gave me a reason to get uh, to get motivated to go to the gym and, and you know kick a bag until my legs were red and sore and, now do you do the Muay Thai thing like I read a book uh, what was it Oh, I don't remember. The guy on the on the front had a had a broken nose, and it was something. My life as a fighter, or something like that. Mm-hmm. He actually went to Thailand to train with the Thai kickboxers and stuff like that, and the Muay Thai fighters. They actually roll their shins 
mm-hmm. with a, a bottle with tinfoil over it and olive, and like oil on their shins to break down the nerve endings in their shins. Did yeah. you ever hear about anything like that? I, I have heard about that. Um, I, I mean, I don't, I can't speak to specifics of it. I know there's like, there's, there's balms and oils and stuff that, that they use in Thailand um, that aren't as frequently used in the United States. Um, but I think a lot of it, so like I did, I did do conditioning and I did do shin conditioning. Um, but I mean, in my opinion, the most effective way to do shin conditioning is just to kick repeatedly with your shins over and over and over. And, and just a bag? Yeah, yeah, just, there's, there's like, so, I mean, you can do it with a heavy bag, but there's also like a, a, a type of punching bag, it's, they call it a pie bag, and it's, it's longer, it's a little little less heavy, it gives a little bit more when you kick it, but it's like the size of a human being. Okay. Um, so like, and that's what they use, it. that was actually developed for, for more Thai and Turkish boxers. Um, but the thing is, like, the, the, the central nervous system, like, the reason that, like, you bang your shin on a coffee table... I almost like, just made that exact yeah. comparison. Because yeah. I was going to say, I bang my shit on the coffee table, and I'm in pain, and I'm cursing. Right, yeah. I feel that you just you have this moment where, like, you kick it, and you just want the sweet release of death. Yes. But, like, um, but that's because we're kind of... We, we've evolved to, like, detect, like, something impacting our shins as danger. Like, it shoots that pain signal in your brain... So that your, your body's basically saying to your brain, yo, I'm about to trip over something, stop running or stop doing what you're doing. Like, you're going to hurt yourself. Right. Um, and so part of it is like you, just by doing it over and over and over again, you eventually will condition your nervous system to like feel that that type of impact. So you kill the spawning route is what you're saying. Not exactly. <laughs> oh, like, come on. Like, I thought I like, it. it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a laugh, but I'm not happy about it. But, <laughs> but like you, um, like if you, brush your like if I were to brush my fingers on my shin like I can still feel my fingers like if, if I had de- like they call it like deadening the nerves but like if I had deadened the nerves in my life you wouldn't feel it I wouldn't feel anything um what happens instead is you train your central nervous system to not send that pain signal to the brain because you've taught I, this is not a perfectly scientific way to describe it but like you've taught your your brain and your central nervous system to not react as strongly to that kind of pain because you've you kind of taught it, you conditioned it to the point where it no longer reacts to it as a dangerous. This thing. is acceptable, yeah. is what your body exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's and it's good because actually the lower part of your shin is the hardest bone in your body. And like when a when a like a trained Muay Thai fighter kicks at full power, it's like it, it's like hitting something with a baseball. Bat. Yes, that's what I hear. But it's um, and, and, but the problem is we it's it's surrounded by this big cluster of nerves because we have to protect ourselves from tripping and falling over right. all the time. So, um, so you you can do that hurts a lot right. until you condition yourself and also like you want to get your bones built up a little bit like you want to form those like little micro fractures and then recalcify it so that it, it, it actually you harden the bone as well so you don't end up breaking your leg on somebody's shin or something sure. you know because if they're a, a Muay Thai fighter, like they they're going to check it yeah. yeah they know how to check it so so are you ever going to have you ever had thoughts of competing or uh, I mean I've seen mm-hmm. your uh, fourth degree white belt in a is that strictly Jiu-jitsu, or is that just uh, the Pereira kind of so um, teaching? I, I, so when you say competing, like what do you, do you mean? Like uh, well, there's jiu-jitsu tournaments, there's MMA, there's yeah. all kinds of different things. I've actually competed in three jiu-jitsu tournaments. Okay. Um, I've medaled in, in, in one of them. Oh, good. Um, the last one I did, I got completely smoked because yeah. um, it was the it was the Team Jiu-Kao in-house, um, which like so like our gym is part of a bigger network of gyms called the called the the Jiu-Kao network or team jukau um and so that one was made up of um all the jukau gyms okay in, in this part of the country and so 
consequently, like the fighters were on a much higher level than than a lot of the ones that you'll go like if you just go to like Naga over in uh in, in like we had like there's one in Morgantown, there's one in Philadelphia not so long ago. Like if you go to like North American Grappling Association, you'll get people at all different levels. Whereas like the the like the guy for example, like the guy that I fought in in the the Juco tournament like was promoted to a blue belt like that day. Oh, okay. Because he because he just he executed everything so perfectly like. And I, and I was actually, I, I was telling the professor afterwards, I was like, because he, he'll ask us after every fight, like, how do you think he did? How, how, how did that go? Even if we lost, even if he sure. got completely smoked. And even if he did super well, he might say, yeah, but there's, here's some things you can work on. And it, you might do super poorly, but he might say, like, yeah, but here's some things you did well. So he'll ask us, like, how do you, how do you think he did? And, and I just kind of shook my head. I was like, you know, honestly, I'm at, I'm at peace with the fact that I lost because that person is a far better fighter than I am or will be for a long time. Yeah. Um, so, like... Um, I have competed in jujitsu. Um, I almost, I almost competed in Muay Thai a couple, a couple months ago, but I was really trying to focus on my jujitsu because mm-hmm. that, that was one area I think I needed to develop myself a little bit more. Um, I have not yet uh, given too much thought to competing in MMA, um, maybe down the road, but uh, I want to make sure that I'm really, really solid in my striking and really, really solid in my grappling because MMA is kind of like bringing those two things together, and so. Um, that, I guess that would be the next thing after I've, after I've spent some time competing in the... In both the, aspects. Yeah, in, in the striking part of it. But, but yeah, I have competed in, uh, in jiu-jitsu. Um, that's actually part of how we rank up is like um, a lot of times like if... Because Professor really encourages all of us to compete um, because that's really the best measure of where you're at. He's testing you. Yeah, because yeah, like, I can roll with somebody at the academy and we, we do we roll every single day with jiu-jitsu. Um, and I can roll with somebody at the academy and, um, like, like there's a, there's a couple guys there that are, that are just higher, better fighters than I am. Um, I can roll and I can, I can outlast them a little bit. Um, I, I can't get any, like, I can't, I can't get an, an advantageous position on them. Right. But I can avoid. You can hang. Yeah, I can hang. I can avoid them tapping me, but it's because. I'm so used to their style. Like, I know right, what they're right, really yes. And in the same way, like, I have people who, like, um, I would like to think I'm a little bit more of an experienced fighter with them, but I can't tap them to save my life. They know what they, you do. They know what I'm going to yes. do before, before I even do it. So you stall out. Um, basically, you stall you know, out. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and, and it's good. It's a chance to work on your endurance and work on, like, kind of, you know, different, you can try different things out in that situation. But, um, you know, and there's, there's other guys that, that are lower ranked than me that, that are just straight up better fighters than I am, that have more natural talent, that have more that have better technique than I do. Um, but a tournament really is a better measure of where you're at overall in your jiu-jitsu because you're going up against somebody with a completely different style than you, um, with a completely different background than you, um, that you are not as familiar with them and their techniques and their, their strategy. Um, and it's interesting because even um, Master Duke how like, I kind of like oversees all of schools that uh, we're part of in our association. Like he'll he'll tell us because sometimes he'll get on the mat and he'll roll with us when we have our like conferences and things like that. He'll tell us he's like I I know based on rolling with you who your who your professor is hmm. because I see their style and how you yeah, roll. I, I see their style and how you fight. So um, so uh, a tournament really is kind of like you're you're exposing yourself. Your metal against against somebody else's, and um, so that's usually if you really want to advance quickly, if you really want to learn quickly, and then also like move up and rank quickly, you, 
compete more. Competing is, is, is really, and, and I, like, I mean, two of the tournaments that I've been in, like, I did not do as well as I would have liked to. I did one where I medaled, and um, um, I thought I did really well, and then there was one where I did okay, and then there was this Juke one where just, I I will fully admit the guys that I were fighting were, were just better fighters than I was. But that's what you want. But, yeah, and, 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 and you, you know, I noticed, like, even just a difference in my training, like, I'll, I'll go from, like, here to here, and uh, in which three people listening can't actually see the Sure. Test. He's raising his hand I, higher. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, but um, it's because like you, you you see so quickly like the things you need to improve on and you have this motivation this drive to improve on them because you don't want to get your face pressed into the floor. Sure, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've competed in jujitsu. I've thought about doing MMA, but um, I'm I would want to do some kind of like more tire striking competition before I made the jump to like hopping in a cage and and, and MMA tournaments are hard to get into it yeah. because you. you like they, and this is the, this is the thing, and, and this is why I don't really understand like the the bias against MMA because like people will say like oh it's this brutal savage sport because they don't know what they're watching exactly well and 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 the amount of like scrutiny involved in just getting into the cage is insane like in a good way but like if you are not ready to fight you will not fight like, no not even on some of these shady underground promotions. I don't know about that. Were they still weighing on a bathroom scale? I don't know about that. But, um, but like, if it's like a sanctioned, like, like, um, like most of the fights in, in, in Pennsylvania, for example, like, like if you, like you have to get, you have to get a blood test done, your professor has to okay you to fight, your, your, um, you know, the, you have to get a physical done and they have to okay you to fight, the, the, the association for the state has to okay you to fight, and then the promoter has to clear you to fight. Right. Like, there's so many steps involved in just getting into that cage, and then like, how many other sports do you have a physician like on call watching the two competitors? A physician, not many. Yeah. So like, in 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 an MMA fight, like you have that, like they're they're watching these two people, and at any point they can be like, stop, done. we're done. Like they're they're not that person's not okay. They got hit too many times in the head. Their their arms bent in in a funny way, and I don't want to see them get hurt. So. Um, I mean, there are injuries, but like, and, and I would say there's probably more small injuries than like, you know, I, like, like, like professional football, for example, but like, um, there are injuries that you recover from, like, you right. don't have these like long-term, long-term, you know, brain damage situations because you, it fights over. Yeah. It fights over. And, and in MMA, people tend to defend themselves in a more intelligent way. Like boxing, I mean, boxing's fun, but like. It's, it, I mean, long term, it's not, it's not great for you. No, it's terrible for you. Because, because you're getting punched in the head repeatedly, and like, you know, versus like if you, if you come up on somebody in an MMA fight, like they can throw a kick, they can throw a knee, they can clinch you, um, in a way they might not be able to do in a boxing match, and it, it's just interesting because like, you know, like even with, even with this really stupid thing that's happening on the internet right now, where like KSI is challenging all these other YouTubers to fight, like somebody called like. There's, Who's there's, KSI? What's KSI? Oh, there's, it's this this guy I, I had never heard of before all this happened, but he's like a YouTuber gamer guy that like got into a beef with some other YouTuber and like literally just challenged him to a fight. So they like had like, oh, like an actual boxing match and like, but there were some, some people were like, this is a stain on the noble sport of boxing. I'm like, okay, bro, but it's two people punching each other. Uh, and right. One of them passes out. Right. Like, right. It's not going to be, I mean, yeah. what'd you expect? But now he's going to fight Logan Paul and so it's just, so you just brought up injuries. Have you had anything, or have you been um, lucky so far? 
I, most of my injuries have been just like minor like muscle injuries like like you know something will get pulled or something will get strained or something and, and you ice it you take a couple days and, and you're usually good to good to roll again I, I did mess up my toe pretty badly one time a toe injury yeah agree. like it was like so what happened was I had this I was on the ground and this person was standing up and I had his wrist and I tried to armbar him from the ground mm -hmm. and um, usually when a person is armbarred they're like the, the defense is like they'll like try to pull you in closer and they'll try to like get basically to a point where you're not bending their arm the wrong way and you can't hurt them. Which um, is 100% the non-natural reaction. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. He, he did the natural reaction, yes. which was to start flailing around. Yes. But he ended up falling forward and um, my, so my feet, it, it, you can almost imagine like, you know, my, my, my foot, my feet were braced against his chest. Uh-huh. And um, so he was falling forward. So my over top running, of you, over top of me. Okay. My feet were running toes down onto the mat, um, and like I, my 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 big toe, my index toe. Is that what's called? I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> my index toe and my my middle toe, like they all spread out, and it looked like Yoda's foot for a second oh, there. And I heard like a, I heard like a cracking sound. So that that. Was it our break, dude? Did you break your toes or did you just like you know, pop some capsules in your joint or something? I genuinely don't know. They're fine now, but um, it did it did keep me not at 100% for a couple days. So if you're rolling with Ned Hesser, toe locks. <laughs> toe locks. <laughs> so what else, what, uh, I did email your professor mm -hmm. and he said about coming on mm -hmm. and he said there's a ton of stuff going on with your gym all over the summer. Is that more just like Gym versus gym type of things or gym tournaments like I'm I'm not sure how that we're, we're pretty works. involved in we're pretty involved in the tournament scene we we fight uh, I mean obviously we, we do our association which is the team Jukau um Jukau tournaments and seminars but then we also do uh, North American Grappling Association and then um which the Naga is the other word for it and then um we do uh, IBJJF the International Brazilian Jiu Jitsu Federation tournaments and then there's like once in a while we'll get like a mini like a miscellaneous like grappling industries or something we'll have a tournament in our area and so we'll go to that um we also we just have a very active gym like we have um we have a class every morning and class every evening um we do more time Brazilian Jiu Jitsu every single day um and we have weekend classes um so it's 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 pretty it's pretty busy um but there's I mean, there's a lot of opportunity that's the cool thing for me is because my my job has an unpredictable schedule sometimes I'm sure so like I am the youth minister. I work primarily with teenagers. When is the time teenagers are most active? The evenings. Right. So um, uh, if I can't get in in the evening, if I know I can't get in the evening, I can go in the morning when I know my students are all going to be at school. So right. I, you know. Right. But, um, but it's it's cool because like there's there's all these opportunities to do it, and then um, Professor Carrera and um, I guess just big picture, I should also point out like Professor is like the jujitsu equivalent of like. Master or sensei or, or right. Or I was wondering yeah. where that came because I haven't heard professor. Yeah, yet. yeah. Um, and it, it kind of it stems from the sort of tradition that like jujitsu is not like Brazilian jujitsu specifically um, is what this applies to, but it's it's not it's not a sport that's solely intended for big guys. Like the uh, Helio Gracie was kind of the founder of jujitsu. He didn't need strength so to do it. Yeah, yes. he was just tiny, sickly little kid, yes. and um, and and he could dominate. He just absolutely dominate these people with two, three times the size. Um, and so uh, our 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 teachers, uh, like our head teachers, our high ranking teachers, we 
call him professor because it's it's we, we understand it's kind of not the fact that, like it's not all about strength and raw power it's about knowledge and technique because um, technique will like if you have really good technique um, and decent strength against a guy who has a lot of strength and no technique, technique you're gonna win that technique will yeah. win every time yes um, 100 agree it's, so it's just kind of like knowledge is power and so we call him kind of professor because you're like you are you're the one with the knowledge that you're imparting on sure. us so um, but it's interesting because you know. Professor is a he's, a, he's a fourth degree black belt, which is a lot. Yeah. It takes like 10 years um, for most people just to get up to being like a regular black belt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also he has a 4 0 MMA record and he got a, he had a, like a more tied title at one point. So, like, I mean, he's, he's one of the, like, he's one of the most qualified martial artists in the country and he mm-hmm. actually trains here in Reading of all places. Right, exactly. He lucked out. But, um, but yeah, so we, we, we do, have a pretty active uh we do have a pretty active schedule but um it's cool because like he will always make time to be there for the evening classes so so he shows up at the evening classes and somebody else runs the morning ones or typically yeah we we have a couple other instructors at our school that will alternate the morning classes and then we'll have guys that all take turns running the weekend classes um but yeah we we have a usually like the higher like the 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 purple and the brown belts will will run the uh the morning classes and the weekend classes okay Weeknight classes, um, it'll nine times out of ten be a professor that'll be teaching here. So you've only been doing this a year, and obviously, after I reached out, he had complete confidence <laughs> in sending you out to basically represent him. So it sounds like in all these experiences that you've had, you've had that kind of be part of it. Like with with the uh, salmon boat, you were like, "You fit this mold. We trust you to do this." Yeah, you're not the experienced guy on the boat, but we trust you to do this, and we know you're going to do a good job. And you've been doing MMA for a year. You're a fourth-degree white belt, which, in the scheme of things, you're getting to where you want to be, but you're lower on the uh, mm-hmm. the scale of things. Mm-hmm. And he 100% entrusts you to not go, yeah, it's fun, I get to hurt people, I get to choke <laughs> them. It's really good. That's what we do there. You know, I mean, that says something about who you are. You're obviously a pretty stable person who, you know, pretty tons of people, person. tons of people. Ch- me. Um, I, don't, I don't know you know you yet, but from you're what I, stable person, well, no, well, coming from me, my bar is low, <laughs> but no, I mean, that's just, you know, that's an amazing thing for, I mean, you're not that old of a guy. How old are you? I'm 24. Yeah. I mean, for all the stuff you've done in your life already, I mean, in my opinion, that's a hell of an accomplishment. I don't see any trip ups. I mean, you have some weird stuff, but I didn't. I don't see any. Tri- is there anything like adversity-wise that you've had to overcome? That's a good question. Um, besides the daily stuff, like I mean, everybody does it on a daily basis. They have to fight through to get to the next day. But. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, yeah, I'm going to get into some more more religious themes now. If you'll excuse me a little yeah, bit. You're fine. Um, I think my my own biggest personal journey. So I, I don't want to call it like a struggle, but like my, my 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 big personal journey has just been like kind of the. And I think it's 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 something we all struggle with, but just the ability to kind of know who you are and, and be confident in who you are and, and live up to who you are. Um, you know, I think sometimes we'll like people will will, will almost cop out. They'll just like you know they're acting full of like this is who I am. You know. It's like, great, but like that's that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, like 
got the quirks, but like, you know, who you are is, uh, I think a, a much bigger, much bigger question. And, and um, I think sometimes like we, we, I, I don't know, I, I, I personally believe the majority of people who, who are really, really struggling um, to find some kind of direction in their life, um, who, who seem to have lost their way, it's because they've forgotten their identity. Mm. I think we, we, we all struggle with that because that's, you know, we live in a fallen world that, that wants to tell us who we are. Um, I mean, my, my own, uh, and, I, and I don't need to get into the whole thing here, but just my own story, like my, um, I, I had a, a, a lot of struggles with like my, uh, my, my birth father. Okay. Um, and, uh, so you were adopted. Well, it, it's sort of, I mean, my, my mom was divorced and remarried and then the guy that I will like address as dad is, is he, her is, new husband. Yeah. Okay. My, my, Technically, speaking, on paper, he's my stepfather. Okay. My my take on it is that like he's he's the man who raised me. He's the man who taught me how to be a man, and, and so he's he's my he's my dad in every way that matters to me. Um, but but there's a lot of there's a lot of baggage that that was attached to that sure. and that whole part of my my own story and um, kind of coming to terms with that has has always been and some days still is um, a little bit of a struggle, uh, especially just just getting to the point in my life where I'm becoming a man, where it's like you know. Things that are associated with like masculinity and fatherhood are, are like they're 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 difficult. They're scary sometimes. Yeah. Um. But you know, there's a there's a there's a, a story in um in the Gospel of Luke when uh when when Jesus kind of you know is starting kind of his public ministry. But the first thing he does is he goes to the Jordan River and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. And there's um in that story like the it says like kind of when he comes up out of the water like the heavens split open um i, I said luke but i was actually thinking of the gospel of mark and um you know in in, in mark 111 it says like you are my beloved son and in you i'm well pleased and um i remember kind of i, I spent a couple of years really struggling like with like who am i like like what is what is my identity who am i before god and and, and i really thought of myself more as like a servant Mm -hmm. like just kind of like a like a you know, almost like an idiot servant like <laughs> kind of like like you're, you're okay i'll keep you around right. but like um but i kind of thought like you know he gives me a job to do and, and i do it and you know i do that and if i do it well enough then he'll like me then i'll then i'll be okay then i can be okay with that with that knowledge of, of who i am and um and i remember it was just funny because like funny is the wrong word but um i was in it was one morning in mass actually uh it was my my second year as a as a missionary when i was i was kneeling in mass and um i was thinking like i just had this this just perfect moment like you know you, you ever have one of those days where like it's like it's a perfect sunday morning you're sitting out on your patio the sun's shining through the, the, the wind's blowing through the leaves and you know you got this cup of coffee and just everything's great everything's on it's rare but yes i know what you mean yeah <laughs> just, but you have that moment of just like like man like i just wish i could take a picture of this and just store it away for you know later when i have those crap days of like i don't want to get up and do another podcast so it's so it's, it's so it's pure happiness but, is basically yeah. what you're feeling in the moment and and i had that moment and, and i just thought like you know like lord like you know you 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 did all this for for your servant like like what what you know like like how good do you have to be you know, to do all this for, for a servant, like for, for just a, a humble, like not great, admittedly sometimes servant. And, and in, in my, in my head, in my heart, I, I, I heard those words echo, like you are my beloved son and you are all pleased. You heard those words. Yeah. I just, they, they, they came to mind. I mean, right. I, I believe the Lord speaks to everybody who's willing to listen. And I think that 
for me at least, he kind of puts he puts things in my heart. He puts kind of ideas and stuff, and then he kind of he, he lets me kind of do the, the legwork of like figuring out how to put it into words because I, I I like the sound of my own voice and I listen to myself better. I mean, like, so like I, I, if he decided to be like, you know, Joan of Arc, where he's like, all right, I'm gonna tell you exactly what I need you to do. Right. I don't know how well that would go over. No. Like, I'd be like, no, but I want to do this thing. Right. Maybe that was but, him. He was sending you a message that there's water on the floor. Right. Exactly. And you need to take your shoes off. Yeah. But, um, so, but we had actually just been, because we were, uh, we just been doing a thing with, um, where we were learning about the mysteries of the rosary. And um, one of them is the baptism in the Jordan. And, and kind of in the midst of that, I, like, I, I kind of, those words came to mind. Of, like, you are my beloved son and you are well pleased. And there was just a moment where, like, I... I was just overcome. Like, yeah. I, 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 you know, we, we, we hear that story about, like, the prodigal son where, like, you know, the, the son comes, like, goes out, like, acts a fool, comes back, like, just sobs, like, father, you know, like, I, I, I no longer deserve to be called your son. I don't deserve to be your son. Like, like treat me like a slave. Treat me like a servant. Um, and I realized, like, kind of my whole life up to that point had been, like, that. Like, had been, like, the, the son saying, you know, like, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve to be called your son. Like, treat me like a servant. Treat me like a slave. Treat me like, you know, and, and, and there's just a moment of him being like, no, like, you're my son. Like, you're better than you're this. Like, you're my child. Yeah. And, like, and, and I think knowing who you are changes things. And I can't speak to, like, every, every individual's, like, own experience. And, and, and I recognize, like, I, I come from a very religious background and not everybody shares that but like i think i truly believe knowing who you are at the core of your being um like knowing that changes everything knowing that can inform every decision you make it can inform every challenge that you come across it it can inform how you act in every situation if you know who you are um you're different powerful stuff man now knowing who you are from a religious point of view or just knowing who you are like i mean I don't know how to separate that, being a non-religious person. I, got you. Uh, I don't know how to separate it either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think yeah. if I was religious, I feel... And here's... I don't know why I'm... Well, I, I know why I'm hesitant. But I don't know... Uh, oh, no. Well, you're not allowed to. I'm going to judge the shit out of you. No, I'm kidding. Um, but, uh, no, I, okay, for me... For me... No, I sound like a real housewife show. For me, I just feel... <laughs> um, I mean, I just talked about my feelings for like 10 minutes. Well, so oh, true. But um, I don't... It would be easier if I would give it more of a chance, yeah. I think. I think it would be easier to discover the answers that you've found mm-hmm. if I would go, all right, clean slate, let's get back into this. But my cynicism mm-hmm. of... The fact that I, you know, just the, the early books of the Bible, I just can't get past. Yeah. And I don't know, I know very intelligent people, and you are like one of the most well-spoken people that I've talked to in a long time. Um, no, well, again, low bar, but <laughs> but still, you're above it. And uh, I, like the guy I coached wrestling with, yeah. he... Uh, Taught physics at Lehigh University. Mm-hmm. He uh, started Blair Academy's wrestling team. Got him in the National Powerhouse. He is a very religious man. He's more into Christian science. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that he was... I, th- I guess he was raised that way. 
I really don't know anything about Christian science. It's more of they believe. Uh, I can't tell you, but it's 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 more that they believe in the power of prayer. They they, they feel like they can, okay. like, and I'm not sure how that relates to the science. But he explained it to me for a little bit. He sent me his gospel talk because I guess at uh, one of the schools that you have to have a, you, you mm-hmm. are available to do it at graduation, mm-hmm. and I had a courtesy to him. I listened to it. And I, I enjoyed everything he said, but what I can't get past is the talking snake. The talking snake. The talking snake and the... And the boat. And the <laughs> boat. Yes, I can't... And you're an intelligent guy. <laughs> and it baffles me that you're you're an intelligent guy. Tom Hutchinson, who was the, is the guy I'm talking yeah. about, I respect them on an intelligence level way above many people. Yeah. I, I just don't get how they can... How you yeah. can overlook it. And yeah. just go... Ah, I but and that part whatever, but this part. Well, I, I mean, I don't. I, I think that's the key word is like you know. Do you overlook it? I don't. I mean, so and I'm not. I'm not trying to get into an argument with you. No, I, I, that, it's just a talk. Just because you brought it up. Um, but you know, um, do you like country music? I grew up on old school country music. Okay. Have you ever? Heard, I I don't remember all the, the the. I don't remember like the whole context about like there, there's a line like um, make you want to put a ring on your finger, wrap it around. You know that one. I do not know that. Okay. One. There's a, there's a line in that song, and I use this as an example. I don't remember the name of the song. I don't remember the artist, but the, the, the chorus like, always ends with, like, makes me want to put a ring on her finger. Basically, just the, 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 the whole setup of the song is this guy struggling with the fact that, like, he's very much, you know, like, in love with this girl, like, spends all this time with her, um, but, like, he always ends up in the same situation where, like, he hates having to leave at the end of the night and drive home. Uh-huh. Um, and so he gets to the point where he's just like, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I gotta, I gotta ask her to marry me. Um, but there's a there's a line in the song where he says every day every night you're all I think about, um, and I and so I'll ask people like you know if uh, let's say I don't remember this musician's name I I kind of want to I kind of want to you go ahead if you want if you, you, you want to Google it um, young Jamie <laughs> young Ned we're doing that too doing that. That was actually quick. That was impressive. Thank you. Yeah. Type with one thumb too. I get. I get some jokes. And now it's not loading. But yeah, it really wants to stay on this page about the spiritual. I don't know. Okay. What'd you type in? Uh, I, what's up? What'd you type in? The the the, the I think the song is just called "Ring on Her Finger," but it's the the leader is makes me want to put a ring on her finger and wrap it around. Her. Like there, um, like I've been wrapped around her finger since the first night we went out. Every day, every day. Every day and every night, she's all I think about. I want that girl beside me when the sun goes down. It makes me want to put a ring on her finger and wrap it around. If I could spell put with my <laughs> giant fat thumbs. I, 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 some, actually, one of the guys I train with like, like, likes to joke with me because I always type with my left thumb or my right thumb. Right You're not right. a two-thumber? No, I'm not a two-thumber. I tried it. I really did. My wife can do it. I, I, I still can't make myself. Fetty Wap. Love sure. the way lyrics. That's not no, right. That's not I suppose, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, no, that's not it. I just stole your phone, sorry. I don't care. Okay, I do have you, a point. You Google faster with one thumb than I do with two. I do have a point, I am getting at something here. Okay, Brad Paisley. Brad oh, Paisley. that's a Brad newer Paisley. country thing. 
Yeah, well, I okay. I'm talking about Garth Brooks, Brooks and Dunn, stuff like that. Okay. That's what I grew up with. Daniels. Yeah, well, yes. okay, not that bad. But <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that was, that, but that song was pretty old. But um, but he so there's there's a so Brad Paisley is a, the point of all this is knowing that his name is Brad Paisley. So would you say um, so if the if the objection or if the confusion um, is that like there's a talking snake, there's an ark, there's a cloud, or, like there's all this other stuff that happens in Genesis that um, I, I struggle with a little bit, like, um, can, can a book that professes to speak, you know, unfettered, inerrant truth actually contain a talking snake? Right. Right. Like, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's, 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 that's part of it. Plus, plus there's, you know, certain other things, but yeah. Gotcha. But, but specifically just the scripture. Like, sure. Like, like morality and everything, we can take it over here for a second, but like, but like the professing faith in a book that says like, uh, and there's a snake, and there was an apple, and there was this whole fiasco, and then they realized they were naked, and it was a problem. Like, right. Um, but uh, so, so the question is, can that book actually teach inerrant truth if it has this thing that like is questionable? Um, well, so Brad Paisley. That's a different question, though. Yeah. That's a different question. Yeah. I believe that the book itself is a good structure. Okay. And a good form that if somebody wants to live their life by that, mm-hmm. by that general broad stroke of the brush mm-hmm. you know the things in the book mm-hmm. I don't think it's a bad thing yeah but I don't necessarily believe that it means that there's a God and that Jesus was real and mm-hmm. like things like that yeah yeah and so we would and, and as a, I speak as a Catholic I can't I don't want to try to speak for other communities like Christian scientists might have their own take on it but I know Baptists have a very different I'll take speak as a Baptist I was at a wedding once alright <laughs> yeah. right amen brother but, um, but there was a as a Catholic speaking about like our our own approach to interpreting it as the largest single faith community on the planet um we so we we believe that it's inerrant like like I would I would agree with you that it's, it, it can teach you a lot of wisdom there's a lot of stuff you can apply to your life but we would take it a step further and say it's inerrant like there's it, it does not contain errors right um but then there's a the question of like so was there a talking snake so did the whole world actually flood when there's no actual archaeological evidence for the whole world flooding was the world created in, in six days when in actuality, like, we know that, like, the universe is how many billions of years old? And sure. it's also problematic that we say that it was created in six days when days are measured by, like, where the sun is and the sun was created on, like, the second or third day. Like, so, like, I can get that. But the question then is, like, so does it contain errors? So Brad Paisley writes this song where he says, every day, every night, you're all I think about. Is Brad Paisley lying? Probably. You think so? Yeah. You think he's lying? That he thinks that's all he thinks about? The guy's got to drive to work. So does he? <laughs> like, yeah, he's got to drive to work. He's probably spending thinking about how to play his guitar. Yes. Um, but, but is that a lie? Is that an untruth? Or can you speak truth in a figurative way? Like, every day you're all I think about. Like, what he could be saying there, I mean, I don't know. Brad Blazey might be claiming, like, <laughs> this is literally the sole thing that occupies my mind. But he could be claiming you are the metric upon which I make my decisions. You know, I think about my life in terms of you. Every day, every night, you know, I have to make these decisions about like, am I gonna go on tour? Am I gonna do this? Am I gonna write that song? Am I gonna make this album? Am I gonna go to this event? And I think about you in the context of, like I think about all this in the context of my relationship with you because you matter to me more than anything else. Like I see your song. argument. So, I absolutely see, I see your argument. Yeah, so, so I would argue that, that Genesis specifically is a book that uses a figurative language, similar to Brad Paisley saying, you're all I think about, use a figurative language to describe actual events. 
So it uses a figurative language of like there was a place called Eden. There was two people that were created from the dust and they were placed in Eden and one of them came from the other person's side and there was a snake and the snake gave them an apple and the apple caused some problems and then they physically could not return to this place called Eden. I believe it uses a figurative language to say, to describe an actual event. Which is what? God created man. Man was put to the dust. Man failed. Man is separated from God because of that failure. But even in that failure, God has not stopped seeking to win us back. Huh. It's a very interesting way of putting it. Because Eden doesn't necessarily, like, like, like Eden doesn't have to denote a specific physical place. Like, even, I mean, and, and, and it's, a lot of people, like, I'll tell them this and they'll be like, well, that's a very nuanced way to put it. But it's like, but this is how they've interpreted it since, like, the, since the study of scripture was an actual thing. Like, we talk about, like, the senses of scripture and, even like if you go and read the Divine Comedy, like like Dante, who wrote like he wrote Dante's Inferno, but he also wrote Purgatory. He describes Purgatory as like this giant mountain in the middle of the ocean, and then at the top of this mountain, you have to walk through this wall of fire. And when you get to the other side of the wall of fire, there's Eden. Hmm. You're back in the Garden of Eden. So it's because Eden. Yeah, but place, you're burnt to shit. Right. Yeah. Well, but you're not because you've been purified. But if you walk through it like without being pure, Dante was also weird. I don't know. <laughs> but but he. he Similarly, uses figurative language to describe truth. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say he's inerrant in the same way Scripture's inerrant, but like, but Eden has traditionally been understood to be this this state of um, of unity with God that we we can't attain in a fallen world, and that we need His help to get back to. If that makes sense. Um, no, well, no, that was a that was the the best explanation of my questions. Of that. Well, no. I mean, regardless of that, it was it was a good way to explain. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you've answered this question more than today, but uh, it's kind of what I do first. So it's, 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 it's yeah. I was overmatched, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't change things. But it, it definitely it, it definitely was like oh, okay. Well, that at least makes a little sense. It's like it's like sparring with somebody. Like in a body, you hop in the ring with somebody, you punch them in the face a couple times, they punch you in the gut a couple times, you walk out, you're still friends. No, absolutely. I don't, and that's the thing about. I mean, people always go, oh, "Okay, don't talk religion, don't talk politics, don't talk." Right. I have no problem with any of that. We don't have to agree. Well, it's funny because people are like, "Don't talk religion or politics." I'm like, "Those are literally my two favorite things." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm not educated much on either of them, but you know what? I, I'm that guy at the bar. I'll be like, "Oh, I saw this the other day. This is exactly what's happening." And then you'll tell me, "Well, no, actually, I did some research, and this is what's happening." Then the next time I go to that bar. I'll be like, that guy told me that this is what's happening and I believe him. <laughs> like, I'm very influential. Well, it's funny, it's funny because like when I was in Alaska the first time, there was this one guy I sat down next to and um, he, he asked, because he was a fisherman and he had just gotten off of the seas and he was going home. And so we're sitting at the bar and he, he's like, yeah, you know, what do you, what do you do when you're not here? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm in school to be a youth minister. And, and he's like, Minister, all right. People always, and this is the funny thing, is when they ask that, they always seem to forget the youth part. Right. And they just go to minister, and they think, like, I'm a Baptist minister, and I jump up. <laughs> like, but, like, you're a minister. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? And so I'm just kind of having, a, I mean, I just see this conversation. But, like, sure. I see his whole body language changing. And then he'll be like, yeah, but you know what, man? Like, we're in a bar, you know? Don't talk religion or politics in a bar. Like, we're good. <sighs> but also, this other thing that I yeah. was thinking about. So we're going back and forth, and he's like, yeah, but man, you know, bar etiquette. We don't talk religion. And it's just like, I don't I don't know how, but just like, just, it, 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 I always, like, it's like there's like a radar. Like, like people are like, oh, this guy here. That's but it's like, so, so it, it, it 
it's not the first time I've had that conversation, but it's also like the conversation I always seem to end up having. With <laughs> sure. No, I mean, I love it. Uh, and I love the fact that we can sit here on obviously not just literally, but on two separate sides of the discussion and, and it's fine. They're, they're, that's what people I think it, we, went, we talked about society and the cops and things like that mm-hmm. I think in general if people just calm the hell down yeah. and talk yeah. you don't have to be on the same page well, and it's interesting because it's like we, we, we almost form like tribes where like you know we, 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 we fight people for the sake of you know continuing to fight people and like I mean I even just look at like this whole debate about like you know immigration reform and everything that's happening Yes. That we don't need to get into, but um, but the, like you know, there's this there's this debate happening, like you know, and I'm not gonna pretend that like the, the Senate Republicans are like these innocent martyrs for sure. you know civility, but like you know, like like Cruz proposes this bill that, that the Senate uh, Democrats have been asking for for like you know weeks, and they propose it, and then what's the first thing that, that the Senate Democratic leadership does? They're like, no, yeah, no, do this, and it's like. It's like if you if you if the first thing you look at is what team are you on? What team this person's yeah. on, and not like you can't judge someone's argument on the merits of the argument that they present. Like if we're like, what do you? It's already like, over. There's yourself? nothing. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's nowhere to go from there. It's like so. I mean, I don't know. I think I think we need to we need to kind of recapture the art of just learning how to talk about stuff and be okay. And like I don't know. I think maybe if more people did martial arts. Wow, way to bring that right back around to why you're originally here. And that's a perfect place to end. You got a jujitsu class to take right about now, and you're probably late. Are you not? Are you not? All right. Well, hey, thanks a lot for being on. If I shake your hand and I fall over and you do one of those TV evangelist things, I'm going to be upset with you. (laughs) Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, brother. Anything else you uh, want to plug real quick? Um, I would just say, you know, I mean, uh, all the side um you know if, if anybody out there is interested in learning martial arts they can come to the mma academy 1414 moth street reading um you can come in for a free muay thai brazilian jiu-jitsu class and see how you like it all right man thanks a lot thank you very much I'm just saying, I don't get